0: It's kind of like this. You know, I I joined the gym. I got this from my wife. I joined the gym five months ago. No progress whatsoever. (laughs) I'm going to go down there personally and see what the problem is. (laughs) It took me a minute to get it. (laughs) That's my problem. It's like, do you not get what going to the gym means? It means you're supposed to go every day, you know. It's not just joining the gym. It's actually doing the work to make the gym do what it's supposed to do. I feel like sometimes as we've thought about and jumped into this book, it it exposes that we have some interesting concepts that are in a system about how the law is supposed to work. We've had this amazing book and we started it and Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news. He says that's because it's the very power of God at work. You know this good news for everyone who trusts. It's the goodness of God revealed for every single believer. In Jesus, which we're going to get to, we haven't spoken much about the gospel. It's coming. Because what he does next is say, and you know, I'm not ashamed because of the wrath of God. And then he goes off, and he's been going off for two chapters, three chapters. And he he ends that little piece of diagnostic, are you getting this right today? With chapter three. And so we're going to again hit and, and speak, but, but he, he looked out, right? He said, he said, you do realize that as you look around and you see how wrongly everything runs, that that's, that's, God's not sort of like not sovereign and not power. He knows. And that's a sign of his ire. Things aren't going well. The system that we have set up just doesn't work, you know. And that system is very much the system that I buy into with all that I am, because it's how I worship. If I obey, I will flourish. And if I disobey, I will wither. That's the idea, right? And we judge around how we do based on these sort of system commands, these overarching moral and ethical principles that we, 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 we with the Jewish people too, stand on, from god they're good that's been the thing these principles do them and live and and paul crashed that party a couple weeks ago as we started romans god's angry we can see it and it's not working he's ticked and and and, and so what we did first is we have sort of this wrong response that we tempted to do as soon as i hear that god's man i'm gonna go grab my mop and my vacuum and go clean up this world <laughs> If I could get it cleaned up, you know, then God will be happier with it. And it's not the way. Why is not it the way? Because you're the problem. You're not the cleaner. You're part of the room. You have desires and things that you do and the ways that you think that aren't right, just like anyone else. How come you're the person holding the broom? In fact, you broom holders, so there's a judges, right? You are actually even worse because you're thinking with some sort of hypocrisy that you're not part of the problem. We saw that, right? Indeed, we looked at it last week where, where we hide away our bad things and put our best foot forward to kind of show that we're good because we know that that's how it's supposed to work. you know? So So we have these things that we hide away. We are doing the same disobedient law breaking in as much as we are in this system, in this room. The way that we're considering how the law is supposed to work. And that's what Paul's doing. The whole system's off, but we can't get out of it. And even when we hear the gospel, we, we, we try to use it to accomplish what I think God must really want, which is the accomplishment over here that wasn't working. Uh, maybe what the gospel is a little bit, energy bar. Actually, these days I should say pre-workout. I learned that my kid does pre-workout now. They take all this stuff so they can do the workout, you know. (laughs) This is more radical. Something more radical going on. So you have to see that you, you and me, we are the problem, our flesh. We we don't keep the law of God and everything else is smoke and mirrors compared to that. So as we land, and I just hope that we can really get into our hearts the right view of how we do this and why it pushes us so amazingly to the great news, is that we have to start with the reality that we put up objections. I object. I saw it was great. I I don't know, sometimes you see these little clips. I saw this clip of this, I think it was a prosecutor or something. She was being accused of of doing doing misconduct. So she wasn't supposed to to testify, but she kind of marched into the courtroom. Said, I'm going to testify. And she came up and she sat down and and about half a day said, these are all lies. I've been accused of lies. I'm not bad. It's like, you know, throwing up your hands and saying you're good. We're like that. I've got objections when I say, you know what, you are such a sinner. You're like, yeah, I go, wait a minute. I'm a Christian. I'm not bad. I glorify God. I fear God. I follow the law. That's what I'm doing the best I can. Who are you, Dax, to say otherwise? And and, and you know what? I maximize my life for God. That's my viewpoint, and that's my goal. And by the way, Pastor, if if I don't, it's because you are not telling me enough about how to obey God so that I can please Him better. Would you please give me a little more law? So consider these few statements with us in Romans chapter 3 as we finish this section of Paul's diagnosis of our condition. I'm calling this Objections. And it's the first two-thirds, really, of chapter 3 before we get to fabulous news. And again, I, I cringe doing these sermons. I want to do next week already today and just skip this section. But like Isaiah 59 that we read, we can't. It's God's word to us. Oh, that we may hear it. So here's the first objection, the first objection. But I glorify God. You ever heard that? This is usually people's objection. You say, man, I, you and yourself, you've got nothing. Well, I glorify God. So well, in our text, we pick up, You know, Paul's having made very clear, the only thing that matters is whether you do the law of God. It doesn't matter if you're circumcised. It doesn't matter if you've got the, 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 whatever history you may have. If the system is, do you obey the law of God? And if the Gentiles obey, they're going to get a thumbs up from God. If the Jews obey, they're getting the thumbs up from God. If they don't, thumbs down. I mean, it's that simple. That's what Paul says. And so this idea comes, it might not be any advantage at all to even being Jewish. And he's handling that question. And it's going to play in, so follow along. He says, then what advantage has the Jew, chapter 3, verse 1, or what value is there in circumcision? And he says, much in every way. You know, the question makes sense because if all that matters is whether I follow the law and you're just telling me I don't, then why even have this circumcision thing at all? Is it meaningless? No, no, no. Much in every way, says Paul. To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. That ought to make your ears prick up a little, right? What did you think? Like if Paul's going to talk he's going to talk about the Old Testament, which is what he means, then what, what? Why? What's the name for the Old Testament? Hint: the Law of God, the Law and the Prophets, the Law of Moses. Instead, he uses a whole other term. They got the Oracles of God. You can find it one place in Deuteronomy, so he's not making this up brand new. But but the Oracles. What does that mean? He means special revelation about God that you can't get anywhere else. It went to them. They got it. And, and and no, just having the Bible didn't make them better, but it told how amazing God is. But make no mistake, he's very, very careful to say, they're not special because they got the rules. They're not special because they got the Ten Commandments. Because everybody, that's his case, is judged under the law. No, what's amazing is that Jewish people were entrusted with the oracles of God. God meeting with Abraham. Abraham received the promises. I'll make a nation out of you, Abraham. Right? God meeting with Moses in the burning bush. With Joshua, God keeping his promises with David, a coming forever king, interactions very specifically pointing to his promises and word for them. It's amazing. It's independent of their obedience. In fact, mostly mostly in spite of their obedience, right? Abraham the murderer. What? Well, God told him go murder his kid. He didn't actually do it, I guess. But then you got Moses. He actually was a murderer. That's what he was doing is running away from being murdering somebody, right? But but, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. What if some were unfaithful? Does our faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means, he says. Let God be true, though everyone were a liar. As it is written, you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. So see, there's this historical testimony that God is right. He is unflinchingly good and powerful. He prevails. That's our God, right? Nothing else can stand before God. I know that from the Bible. He fights for his people. In Joshua, the sun stood still, it says, in one of the oracles of God, as God made it so his people had a land. Think about what Paul's saying, will you? Don't lose this. He's saying that the unrighteousness of people doesn't nullify the righteousness of God. In fact, it highlights the righteousness of God. All these oracles, they showed how, can I say it, how crappy people are? But how awesome God is? How amazing. As Sarah laughs at the promise, but God God gives them, Isaac even calls his name laughter. Abraham giving his wife to Pharaoh, Noah drunk on the beach, David can't can't stop scoping out the gal in the hot tub on the building across the way. Ouch. But that doesn't mean, That doesn't that mean, and then you start thinking, well, wait a minute, well, wait a minute, uh, doesn't that mean that, that our sin just highlights how amazing God is, so we should sin some more? In fact, why does he judge sin then? That's the silly question Paul then addresses. But if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say? That God is unrighteous to inflict wrath on us? I, I speak in a human way, don't be mad at me. God... <laughs> By no means, for then how could God judge the world? That's an interesting argument, but look, even the sinner, this is really important for your thinking, even the sinner is for what? The glory of God. You see that, right? That's what he's saying. But if through my lie, God's truth abounds to his glory, there it is, why am I still being condemned as a sinner? Why not do evil that good may come? As some people slanderously charge us with saying their condemnation is just. So it isn't just that you should go ahead and sin more. No, but that the revelation that your sin just highlights how amazing God is. He is righteous when he judges Why is it shocking? Why am I bringing it up like this? It says because this puts to rest this crazy weird idea that you and I get that what 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 God's after are some people to glorify him. My normal way of thinking is I want to glorify God. And by that I mean doing good things, loving people, showing how great God and I together are, overcoming sin and temptation. Like this is our first objection, you know, but I glorify God. God's happy with me. The response of Paul is, you sure do. You glorify God. Because as you fall down, you highlight that his judgment is right and true. You and your flesh deserve a swift kick. So if God gives you a swift kick, he's righteous and true. He's glorified. I don't like that. Yeah, so stop making that argument. God glorifies himself. He doesn't look to you to do it. Now, if we got out of the whole system, don't get me wrong, if we got out of the whole system, we're going to get there, and you said, no, 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 I am to the glory of his grace, then we're in Ephesians, and we can go talk about that later. We will. But just the glory argument, it's not a proper objection. Everybody's being used by God for his glory. You know God is totally in charge of his own glory. He is glorious. Isn't he? <laughs> so, objection one crashes and burns. Sure, you glorify God, but you glorify him by being nobody and making his judgments right. Stop with that argument, please. You say, well, okay, but, but, but. I fear God. You're going to harp on the glory thing, Dax. Okay, but I fear God. I'm giving away what I think of that argument. I don't know if you can read that. <laughs> oh, and I fear God, don't I? <laughs> He's continuing to use the Jews because they have this long-standing relationship and we are talking relationship. Who has the relationship with God? And the ones who have a chance are the Jews, at least the God-fearing Jews. And so verse 9, he says, What then are we Jews any better off? Paul is a Jew. I'll study is a Pharisee. No, 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 not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. So everyone is not just going to be judged, but judged and found guilty under sin. That's the charge. That's what he's been sort of stating, right? That's what we understand already. In fact, we can understand it so well. We're a little bit like, can't we just have done this two weeks ago and then move on to chapter 4? That's what you're supposed to be taking from Romans, though, over and over, directly and inescapable. The cool thing here is he goes ahead and what does he do? He uses the oracles of God to show you that you don't fear God. You're under sin. It's it's not. (laughs) Sin management is a failure because it means you have some. It's not saying you're decreasing sin. You're not helpfully overcoming sin. You are under sin. So these all, he, he gives this list. And, and I don't know if you realize, they're all quotes from the Old Testament. They're all quotes from Psalms, except for one. And that one is the exception. We read it earlier in Isaiah. Here it is, as it is written. None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good no not one their throat is an open grave they use their tongues to deceive the venom of asps is under their lips their mouth is full of curses and bitterness their feet are swift to shed blood and their paths are ruin and misery and the way of peace they have not known there's no fear of god before their eyes why is not talking about me What is he doing? He's showing that this is God's statements from the Old Testament, and 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 I would I would encourage you, and I can give you the list if you want. I'll say them real briefly here as we go. I would encourage you to go read each and every of these Psalms, each and every one of these passages, and just take in that this is this is the revelation of God and His holiness, righteousness, and it does include you. He starts off, let me back up and and, and just take a quick look. As it is written, no one is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they become worthless. No one does good, not even one. That's an extended quote that begins it from Psalm 14. Those are the first three verses of Psalm 14. If you go and look at Psalm 14, the theme is this. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. So if you sin, oh, you fool, you've said in your heart there is no God. News alert, you sin every day. If you say you don't sin, you're a liar, First John says. So therefore, you're saying in your heart there's no God, and you are a fool. It's okay, I'll jump in there with you, me too. So it it, it catches, right? The whole psalm does. Then verse 13 says their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. That's from Psalm chapter 5, verse 9, the fifth psalm. And and, and it's a plea to God. What's the plea? Make them bear their guilt, O God. It's the psalmist saying, These people who are evil and don't fear you, would you please judge them? I prefer door number two, mercy. And and he keeps on going. Their their mouth is, the venom of asps is under their lips. That's from Psalm 140, verse 3. And again, the whole theme is please judge the wicked. This verse and also the next one reflect plenty of New Testament teaching like James. which says the tongue is horrible. And then he just says, whatever, this ought not be, but it is. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. That's from Psalm 10. Psalm 10 continues to say things like this, like verse 4 of Psalm 10. All of his thoughts is there is no God. Like You know, you think you're getting away with something. God doesn't see me. And as I go and point fingers at other people. Then verse 15 here, their feet are swift to shed blood and their paths are ruin and misery, the way of peace they have not known. That's, we read that, we read that this morning. That's Isaiah 59. Remember how it started? I'm a God who can save, but your sin has separated you from me. See, the law would be great if actually what it did was it, it reflected on a heart that was good, and then we did it. That's been this whole argument. But the truth is, as you see, and you can see it easily, is that you don't do that, and so therefore there's a gap. Bummer, man. This is what sin does under the law. Imperfection. There's a fault line between you. You're on a cliff looking down. You go like, I just, I, I can't get over that thing. There's no way. And then the final piece here in verse 18, there's no fear of God before their eyes. That, that's, that's the statement he lands on. But it's from Psalm 36, verse 1. Transgression speaks to the wicked deep in his heart. There is no fear of God before his eyes. He flatters himself. His iniquity cannot be found out and hated. Oh, my. That's a kicker, right? It reveals we don't honor God as God, not even when we think we're doing it because transgression speaks to us human beings deep in our hearts. I have these niggles, you know. Maybe God isn't good. Maybe he doesn't have a plan for me. Maybe my circumstances are such that they're not what they ought to be. Maybe God's just using me. I don't really like the book of Job. So my assessment of me is usually that I'm pretty good. Not great, of course. I'm kind of a little flawed. But I'm pretty good. But the oracles of God say I'm not good. Remember Ecclesiastes? We've done Ecclesiastes, like all this stuff that happens. And he's like, I just look for all these ways that I might have success and advance and do things. And all of them are dead ends. And so he comes in chapter 12 to the end of the matter. Solomon, the wisest man. Here it is, you guys. You want to just, this is the life you should live. What is it again? It's fear God and keep his commandments. Wasn't that it? (laughs) Here's Paul saying, yeah, uh, you should hear that and say, uh-oh, because the Bible says you don't fear God, much less keep his commandments. And by the way, this is directed at Jews who could read and know the scriptures like Paul. They knew them way better than you and I do, I would imagine. I mean, Paul's stringing these together. I imagine very few of us in this room would have been able to say, oh, yeah, that's from Psalm 5. Oh, yeah, that's Psalm 10. Oh, there's Psalm 146. I know way more about the Seattle Seahawks than about the Psalter. I can tell you the quarterback was last year. Year before, year before. Say, so, well, Dex, what's in Psalm 14? Uh I got this great Bible program. <laughs> Just a second, let me get my phone. <laughs> I don't treasure it in my heart. I don't I'm not, right? And and that's and so again, you hear that, and what you hear is I better do more. No, what they, what you should hear is, I don't. I don't. You caught me. That's just an example, right? Not a push to go study it. It's an example, not a push, because it's too late to push. You're unrighteous. You're under judgment by the law. This word and this long list, mostly from Psalms, right? It's descriptive. It's worshiping God. That's the Psalter. But, but 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 it takes down the idea that people fear God. If you fear God, you would obey him, and you don't. You would know him, and you don't. And so you fall under this this... Please judge the wicked umbrella. The wicked is you. Me too. Us. It's not hyperbole. It's definitive. You and I don't fear God in any way that means he needs to bless you. What a joke to hear that from the mouth of the religious. I fear God. It's kind of sickening. Makes you want to throw up on my mouth a little. Not that I fear God, but it's hard to stomach the foolishness. And that's what our churches are telling people to go back and do like you're doing it. You say, but Dax, wait, 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 Dax, wait. I follow the law. That's our third thing. (laughs) I follow the law. At least you know the issue because the issue really is the law. It is not pie in the sky, having a soft feeling about a distant God. It is knowing and doing what He has said to do, what you actually do know to do. Whether you're not, you're, you, you've sort of studied the Psalms. You have the knowledge of law all around you, ethics and morality and behavior. We, we've covered that at the end of two. If the Gentiles would do what's what's followed, even though they don't, can't tell you, you know the verse that it's in, in Deuteronomy or, or, or in Leviticus or Numbers. No. Paul goes right at it. So now we know that whatever the law says, this is about the law, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. Look, this is the great purpose of the law. It speaks to the group of people who are under it to stop the blabber of self-justified merit. It gives the definitive standard so everybody's held accountable. That's what he says, right? That's just a restatement of it. So the issue is, we want to declare ourselves righteous. The only way to do it is with the law. That's fine, okay, Our religious blood starts to smile. But then it says it's to stop every mouth, including yours and mine, and I don't like that. But this is the purpose. We need to get this in our heads and hearts. This is the purpose of the law. The first five books of Moses, that's the law. The Ten Commandments, that's the law. The moral instruction, that's the law. The expectations of God, that's the law. The way to stay right and true and get a good job, son, good job, daughter, from God. This is a way. It was never meant to actually give that. Why? Because I'm not ashamed of the gospel. We're not there yet. But if you say that you have this, or the gospel has made you accomplish this, you are lying. That's the problem. It was only meant for this. By the works of the law no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Knowledge of sin and therefore certain judgment, that's all. Not knowledge so you can make God happier by doing it. No, you still don't do it. If you're under the law and it is looking at you, its answer is thumbs down. The entire system has to be changed. This is not antinomian. This is nomian to the max. This is, I believe in the law of God, in the purposes that he gave it for. So its use is what he intended it for. So it goes exactly where he wants it to go. Where does it go? You've got no hope in this pathway at all. What does that mean? In fact, I don't get it. Well, so a couple thoughts, just to help. I know we need to be done. We don't have all day to do this, unfortunately. We we should. But but things like this, I don't know if you've ever heard this. I grew up in some of this. I will never rest until the good is better and the better best. Heard that? So how does If you're talking morally here with the law, talking accomplishing the law, here's the thing. You never get even to good much less to better and never to best. That's a total dead end. What are you trying to do? Improve yourself. I want to shine myself so I glow a little more. That's just not available to you in the eyes of God. It is in the world. Of course it is. Keep throwing your free throws so you can make free throws when it's game time. But, you will never attain the best. You're not even at good. You can't be a part of God's perfect world. You're twisted. And you say, I'm striving to be all I can be for God, Dax. Yeah, and here comes the throw up in my mouth again. Because you aren't for one. And you have no idea for two. Because it gets to pride like that. Who do you think you are? You know, the Bible's is going to say something very particular about how we get The righteousness of God. I'm not saying you're not righteous. I'm saying you don't do it this way. Right? So, so, but but then you say, okay, how about this one? I'm okay, you're okay. Let's just all be okay. No, no, the problem is neither one of us is okay. We're all broken. I mean, according to the law, right? You miss the mark. You're internally stunted. The rules are a mirror to make you see you're twisted. It's the knowledge of sin. You look at it and you kind of go, ooh, where's my makeup? No, I don't wear makeup. I think the worst, well, I don't know. This is bad, too. Here's a bad one, kind of the victim-y thing, right? Like, my God, God will understand, you know. My circumstances have been particularly hard. No, it doesn't talk about extenuating circumstances at all. They're not here. There's no circumstance to hide behind. You know, you you just don't know my spouse. It's not something that you're going to like evade the diagnosis of the law with. I don't need to know your spouse. Looking at you is quite enough. Dude, Swanson's in the mood today. <laughs> it, it, the worst, I think, because it's so deceptive is I know God. I love his rules. Man, I, I go with your sweetness of the honeycomb. I love that psalm. Which one is it? I don't remember. I've got logos. But I know, I know. It's, it's there. You know, we love your, your law, God. And, and, and so God helps me be good. God aided self righteousness. You slip right in with Luke 18 and the Pharisee. Thank you, God. He says, I'm not doing it myself. I'm so grateful that you've made me good. Look at all the things I do in keeping your law. Oh, thank you, God. Not like that guy. <laughs> the other guy's like, have mercy on me. Totally outside the law. I got nothing. And Jesus is like, uh, that's the justified one, right? Not you, Pharisee. You're condemned. You can't be part of God's perfect world. You're twisted. The, the rules are meant to show you you're twisted, not to give you a sense of self-affirmation. I read this. I We're going to skip that The the, the Puritans got a a sense of this. Oh, it's so important—the holy world of God. Like, here's a quote from Jonathan Edwards: "God, as God delights in His own beauty, He must necessarily delight in the creature's holiness, which is a conformity to and participation of it, as truly as the brightness of a jewel held in one's sunbeams is a participation or derivation of the sun." Isn't that cool? Say, no, I have no idea what that meant. (laughs) <laughs> no, what he was saying is God's gotta like revel in holiness in the create like so cool. I'm saying, yeah, that is so cool. And you don't have it in yourself. That, that's where he's like, what holiness you can't attain. He never got there in his own actions. It's proven, right? He wrote all these little resolutions. Why did he have to write a resolution? Why wasn't his heart just already set on God? Because he was a sinner. Do you know what the opposite of sin would be? That he was holy. Did he escape Isaiah 59? Your sin has separated you from God. And if he did, how? Oh, there's the question. Okay, so here's what's needed. What's needed for you and me is not Old Testament light. Jesus now, you know, making the law okay. Okay. Not a superficial cleansing so you can have another go. You're not sick and Jesus makes you whole. You're not missing a piece and Jesus fills a heart shaped kind of hole in your heart. It's not I'll make a deal with you, God, and I won't sin again. I did lots of that. Maybe you did too. But it doesn't cut it. You still sin. I still sin. I this so many times, Lord, Lord, forgive me. I will not do this again. It's so bad that I'm doing it. forgive me, God. And then I would, you know, fast for several days to show I was really serious. And then next week I would do it again. Doesn't that just dig the whole way deeper? Like now you've promised and you've fasted and you've done it. Now you've, you've promised and you've fasted and you've prayed and you've done it 12 times. But I'll tell you what, that day when I didn't do that particular sin anymore, I'm righteous. No, you're not. You're not doing that sin and there's 50 million more, whack-a-mole man. Good, you got one. You're going to call yourself, what? So if you know Jesus, oh, I pray you know Jesus. There's a whole other system to talk about. But if you know Jesus, don't you dare put yourself back under this, back under judgment, back under law, you fool. You're condemned unless unless you change entirely, unless there's something totally radically new. This is why Romans is important, because we get to this place where he say, you know what? This is entirely a dead end. I believe it. I finally see, and Paul's hammered, and he's struck, and he's dug, and he's put on fire. And he says, and, and finally, oh, oh, I get it. This is a dead end. <sighs> finally. Now you're ready to hear why we're unashamed of the good news. Because otherwise you're going to be ashamed of it. You're going to act like it's not true. You're going to not put your trust in the actual power of God and the righteousness of God. You're going you're to come back and continue to put your trust in your helping God to attain the things that you think he wants you to attain. And you have no idea what he's doing. This is what we need. We need something done to us. We need a a, a connection that's entirely different or we won't survive. So we are not ashamed of the gospel because God's power is at work. Just trust Jesus. Because God's righteousness is revealed. Just trust Jesus. Because every other way is burnt ashes. It's not a way for us to go. So where we get to go, we start next week. Please come back. Please don't make this like, oh, pastor's just like, don't, the law really is bad and we're all just slugs on the floor, squirming. Great. I feel great. What a great week. No, 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 no. You're there because there is an amazing, bright ray of sunshine that is so incredible and it shines on you that God himself came down for you and me and he is for us forever. And it's, totally different and it frees you forever